When you are coaching, particularly very senior leaders, you are out of your comfort zone because you have no clue what is going to show up today, what problem is going to show up, when that problem is presented, what is really at the root cause of that problem. You have no idea how open the person is that day for exploration, for digging deeply. You just don't know. Some people are more comfortable taking big risks. Some people want to take small risks at first. So whatever your comfort is, take a little bit of a risk. I get what my value is here and that I can do. I'm good with that. So as soon as you can begin to answer that value question, you can get comfortable with what you're bringing and then be okay with what you're not bringing. Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host, on the West Coast, Mitch Simon, and on the East Coast, our amazing co-host is Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis. Ginny, how are you today? I am fine in that syncopated way. Yes, indeed. That is it. Yeah, we don't want to uh, get outside of our comfort zone today and mess everything up. Oh, wait a minute. Today on the podcast, we have Wanda Wallace, managing partner of Leadership Forum, author of You Can't Know It All, and host of the podcast, Out of the Comfort Zone. Wanda coaches, facilitates, and speaks on improving leadership through better conversations. Wanda, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mitch, and thanks, Virginia. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you here. Uh, Wanda's coming from New York City, New York. <laughs> All those New Yorkers out there. We don't really have much New York in the house. We haven't, now that you mention it. We're just too expensive yeah. to get. You know that expensive lifestyle. <laughs> so, Wanda, what has surprised you the most about yourself over the last three years? I suspect you would be better off asking my friends and colleagues what has surprised them about me. I think that might be the much more interesting question. Well, let's get them on the you show know, right now. Right, we should do that. We should do that. But I'm still going to answer the question at any rate. Um, you know, you reach a certain point in life and you sort of figure like you've learned most of the school trades and tips and things that you're going to use throughout your career and my coaching practice and so on. I think the thing that surprises me the most is how much I keep learning and reinventing. So I want to give you an example. Can you give a trivial no. example? Please. Feedback. Like Who hasn't talked about how to do feedback? Like that is coming and going right, left and center. You would think there would be nothing new to discover about it. Right. Well, a couple of months ago, I'm taking a deep dive with a client, trying to help them get some things. And I realized, wait a minute, we can't keep talking about feedback if it's a single thing. Giving feedback to a peer is actually a very different process. Some similar skills, very different process than yeah. giving feedback down. As is giving feedback at year end versus giving feedback throughout the year. Yet, we always talk about it as if it's a seamless thing. Mm. So. There's an example. I'm constantly learning and reinventing, and that has surprised me. Okay. What yeah, surprised you about your yeah. clients uh, over the last two, three years as uh, they've kind of moved to a, let's say, more virtual hybrid landscape? 
it's not the virtual hybrid. It's the coping with stress. I never thought, never thought I would be talking about stress and how to manage stress. I thought that's well covered by a host of other people in places. Are you kidding me? It's one of the single biggest barriers at the moment, I think, for leaders being effective. Because when you can't get that stress under control, even if you think you got it under control and it's still piling up, you're tense and then you're not reacting to people in a way that's most constructive. See it every day. I think that's one of the things that's currently everyone struggling with that in time. Nobody has time anymore. Never thought I'd be taking a deep dive into how do I help clients deal with their time issues. Sure enough, I'm there. What are the causes of that? No, the, the two or three word answer. The two or three <laughs> word answer. Um, one is we have added on process after process after process in most global corporations because of the pandemic, making sure quality is under control, risk is managed, et cetera. And now we're forcing people to coordinate with many different components of the organization where there is inherent conflict, differences of opinion, all of which is a good thing, nothing bad about that but people don't have the skills to deal with it. And then that's putting enormous pressure on time Man. and then add change on top of it. There's no capacity left. Wow. That's my two to three word answer. No doubt we could spend hours talking about that. You get an A on that answer. Talk about stress, but no, we're going to talk about comfort. You have a podcast called Out of the Comfort Zone, which I love because I basically built my life about being outside my comfort zone. Uh, everyone knows I do improv on stage in the National Comedy Theater, which is basically dealing with being uncomfortable all the time. So tell us why you are fascinated about getting out of the comfort zone and what it has to say about great leadership. All right. So first off, there's no question that growth happens outside the comfort zone. Okay. So if you're looking to advance your career, to take on larger and larger responsibilities, to be seen as somebody who can have bigger impact, you need to get more regularly out of your comfort zone. That was reason number one. Reason number two, senior leaders at the very tops of organizations cannot be seen to be taking their first risk out of the comfort zone when they're in that senior level moment. Like you've got to take a series of these so that you're ready for it and the organization believes you're ready for it. And third, and probably most importantly for driving this particular component is I was watching way too many very competent people topping out at their career earlier than they thought they should be. And it's largely because the organization believed they couldn't get out of that comfort zone, particularly comfort zone of expertise. I know how to do what I'm doing. I'm at the top of my game and what I'm doing and I'm not quite ready to take a leap out of it. And the organization doesn't believe I can take a leap out of it. And it's where I watch women and underrepresented groups get stuck more often than not. So that's why I think it's important. Wow, Wanda. So you are attributing a lot of, um, let's say, my own ceiling based on where I decide or consciously or unconsciously where I am going to be uncomfortable. So I go from a, let's say a manager to a director and, and it's my comfort zone or discomfort, ability to be discomfort 
which is going to say, I'm going to get to the next level. Could tell me more about that? Because I've never heard of that perspective. Right. Yeah, it's a little weird and probably a little controversial. So here we go. All right. Percy. And let me be clear. The ceiling is held up from both sides. It's yes. held up from the organizational side and from the individual side. So let's, let's take for a minute that I am a member of a minority group. Mm -hmm. And that might mean any number of things. It might mean that I'm a marketing professional inside of an engineering organization. So I'm a member of a minority group. Okay. I've already got that question of can I fit and how do I fit? And the easiest way to fit and to deal with the politics and manage all of it is to let my work speak for itself. So I'm going to be really strong and really powerful in my core area. And all of you out there are going to see the value I add because of my core area. So that's going to keep me hanging out in that comfort zone of expertise for far longer than somebody who's not part of, or who's part of the more dominant style is likely to do. I'm just, it's just going to be harder for me to do it. So I think it makes it easier for me to then rely on my expertise, to use that as a base for building my network, to use that as a base for dealing with the politics and the conflicts, to use that as a base for my reputation. And I stay there. Now the organization sees I'm really, really good at it. And I seem to like it there. So why are they interested in moving me out of that comfort zone? It's good for them too. So it becomes a self-fulfilling or a cyclical process that's reinforced from both sides. So I'm sure this um, someone who had a, who has a different perspective. So I'm I'm a marketing person in an engineering organization, and I'm actually I'm okay with being uncomfortable about the other aspects of the of the company, such that. I'm going to be a successful one to move through that that ceiling. How how does that look internally to that person? Who's marketing in an engineering organization? Is it? Okay, look, I think you always have to learn to speak the language of the dominant coalition, whatever that is, because that's going to be hard to have influence to persuade people of your great ideas. Mm -hmm. And if I'm in a marketing, I'm in an engineering organization, I need to learn enough about the engineering components of what we are doing. So what are the big roadblocks? What's the process for engineering? Why are we successful versus somebody else is mm -hmm. successful? And I can speak that language without having to take a deep dive, all right? If I stick too closely to I only know marketing, then the organization is going to keep me in a very small box. Right. If I'm seen as someone who can branch out of that box, yes, I always bring my marketing expertise, but I might be willing to be on a redesign process that's largely engineering. I'm wearing my marketing hat, but I'm also going to bring my ability to talk to people in other parts of the business. It could be a huge valuable contributor. Could even imagine that I might move into an operational role in some capacity as a next step, as I've proven my ability to speak to larger parts of the organization. Does that do it for you, Mitchell? It actually does, because Wanda, it, um, Wanda, Wanda and Mitchell, we're we're best friends now. So Wanda, <laughs> um, what it does is it really it's a great understanding of what holds people back. It's not necessarily the knowledge. It's not necessary, you know, years in the chair. Um, it's, and I think that's like thinking about improv as well as, um, you will succeed in relationships, in finances, at work in promotion based on your ability to deal with your own inability to deal, uh, with being uncomfortable. Right. That's right. Where do you Wanda wake up every day and work outside your comfort zone? 
every single day. Okay, right? let's hear it. When you are coaching, particularly very senior leaders, okay. you are out of your comfort zone. I don't mean I'm, un I'm uncomfortably out of my comfort right. zone, but I'm out of my comfort zone in every single conversation because you have no clue what is going to show up today, what problem is going to show up, when that problem is presented, what is really at the root cause of that problem. You have no idea how open the person is that day for exploration, for digging deeply. You just don't know. Somebody shows up to you in a meeting and we're now ready to do a dance and you've got to come prepared to do the dance with them. It's a, it's an evolution and you just, it kind of, you can't know, you just cannot control it. Hey, we're taking a quick break to remind you to support our podcast by hitting the subscribe button and leaving us a review. Your feedback means the world to us, and it helps us continue to bring you more engaging and thought-provoking content for leadership and remote work. And what if I am a, a, an employee at a company, I'm not a coach, and how do I explore dealing with um, uncertainty and uncomfortability um, in a way that I can, you know, contribute, get outside my comfort zone. Um, I mean, because I really went, one of the re reasons I was intrigued about bringing you on is when I went through my leadership training, we had a whole module on what leaders are great at is they are great at being okay with not knowing. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's just a speck of people who dive into that little little area and so I wanted to kind of understand more how you look at that okay all right so let me answer your question about how you begin to get yourself out of your comfort zone yeah first experiment don't leap <laughs> okay. uh, so and let's admit that some people are more comfortable taking big risks some people want to take small risks at first so whatever your comfort is take a little bit of a risk and you want to volunteer for a project, for example, that is you is out of your comfort zone, out of your knowledge base. That could be something as simple as a recruiting uh -huh. um, assignment. You know, I'm going to go and do some interviews. That's not my comfort zone. We're going to do some interviews. Or it might be a charitable project. I'll put my hand up and say, I'll organize it this time. Or any number of small tests. Because as you do that, you get more comfortable yourself. And other people get more comfortable seeing you in those roles. And I'm not abandoning my day job and my paycheck and my prospects and all of my security and doing those small tests. But when you're doing a test like this or you're making that first move, the number one question to get your head straight is how are you adding value? So when I'm in my zone of expertise, I'm adding value because of the content I know that no one else knows better than I know. When I am not that expertise, how the heck am I adding value now? Like, why would anybody follow me now? You've got to answer that question. What's my value going to be this occasion? And when you can get comfortable with the nature of the value, then you go, okay, I can do that. So you want a story about this one? 100%. One of my favorite, I've told the story so many times, one of my all-time favorites, this is a, who's now a very senior leader in a large global organization, but at the time of the story was at the mid-level ranks and had been picked up by a very senior person who was mentoring him and said, hey, I've got an opening in my organization. I'd like you to apply for a job. That's two steps ahead of where you are right now. So the guy, the young, the mid-level guy says, okay, fine. 
scared to death behind the scenes. Oh my gosh. He would say, maybe I knew 10% of that job. Maybe. Now we all think that he comes across as being great bravado. I'm telling you in truth, maybe he knows 10%, but anyway, he goes ahead, he applies, he gets the job now scared. How am I going to make it work? How am I going to do it? All right. And it's sort of about a month into this, he sits down with his mentor and he says, you know, I'm just really curious. What did you see in me that you thought would be good in this role? Translate. Why did you think I could do this job when I didn't know so much? His mentor laughed out loud at him, laughed <laughs> and said, look, I knew you didn't know 90% of the job. But the point is, I didn't need you to know 90% of the job. What I needed you to do is to be this change agent. And I saw you doing that in a really powerful way and bringing people along with you as that change agent. And the guy then just sort of suddenly relaxed, like, oh, I don't have to fake that I don't, that I know 90% that I don't know. I let somebody else to know that. I get what my value is here and that I can do. I'm good with that. So as soon as you can begin to answer that value question, you can get comfortable with what you're bringing and then be okay with what you're not bringing. That's, that's great. I have a question for you because I sometimes run into this. Um, there's a person who has been comfortable. They're doing a great job and they wake up one day and decide, I want, I, I want to be promoted now. I want to be recognized. And they go and they sit down with their boss and, you know, I've decided now I want to okay. <laughs> be promoted. So what advice do you give to that person? All right. Promotion is a process and it's never comes because you think you deserved it. So anytime you say you think you deserved it, you're missing it. You're missing the point here. Because we're making a judgment, can you perform at a different level? Not that you've done the job you're in today. Can you perform at a completely different level? So I think it's perfectly appropriate to say to your manager, hey, look, I've decided I'm ready to take the next step, okay? That doesn't say I'm demanding, give it to me now or else. It's saying I'm ready. And what you're doing is an invitation to your manager or your mentor to help you understand what next level means and what you need to show to learn yourself, as well as what you need to show the organization about your capability. Cause other people have to have confidence in your ability to do that. And that's a journey. It is a journey. That's what they don't understand. And, and you have to build it. What have you done to get you to that next step? Right. Well, do you understand what's required at the next step? Do you understand the metrics we use to evaluate people? Do you understand what we want you to do and not to do? Do you, I mean, there's a whole host of things. You've got to start the conversation. Great to say I'm ready, but then don't expect immediately. I also say to people, there are no jobs just sitting out there waiting for somebody to kind of suddenly put their hand up and say, I'll take it. Somebody's doing it good or bad. Somebody's doing it. So often we're moving one person out of a seat in order to give you an opportunity. And that takes longer time than most folks appreciate. So they think two months and I say 12 to 18. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Let me ask you this question about uncertainty. Um, how do you deal, you know, what's going on inside of you? Because a lot of, a lot, this is all, this is an inner game, right? We all deal with uncertainty. 
some of it, some of us deal with it with grace, elegance. Some of us just move away as fast as we can. What do you do? How do you talk to yourself or how do you know yourself that you can deal elegantly with uncertainty, with not knowing? I focus first on what I do know. Okay, nice. It's back to that sort of what is my core value? What do I know and know I know at least as well as anybody else in the world? So that's the first question. Second question, what do we need to know in this situation that quite honestly, no one knows? Because that gets me comfortable then with the exploration, with the asking the questions, with the testing, with the experimentation. And then third question, who else knows a piece of this that would be useful to me and how do I get them involved? That it's not that they have an answer, they have a piece of. And part of my skill in dealing with uncertainty is trying to understand all the pieces that we need to bring together in order to make a next step. Yeah, I love that. We in, in improv, we, we, um, one of the elements to deal with uncertainty is to make the other, make your partner look good. And so I love your third part, which is, okay, who knows something so they can help make me look good? You know, that's just, you know, it's great. It's a great um, outreach for help. Mistake we made, make often, as Wanda pointed out, is they start having these interviews, a piece here, piece there, and they expect each person they talk to to have the answer. Love, you they have to, we all have to change our mindset. No, it's a bunch of pieces. It's a bunch of pieces. But it's also, I mean, you do a whole bunch of interviews because somebody might have the answer out there. But you got to be willing to say, no, no one knows yet. Okay, fine. Mm -hmm. I'm going there. Mm -hmm. And Mitch, on improv, my favorite part of what I know about improv, not that I'm a specialist here, is um, when you're doing improv and there's an offer, uh -huh. you have to take the offer. Yes. Okay. Yes. And it's the same thing when some, it's not just that I ask for help. I'm accepting what people give to me. Yeah. Yeah. Even if I don't know how to use it right now. Yeah. That's the biggest one is accepting what the world is giving you right now, which is great. Cause I have another question yeah, is, wonderful. can you talk about the transition that expert leaders, great leaders are asked to make today, especially in the area in, in the era now of, um, okay, we just transitioned a couple of years ago into working from home. Um, now we're transitioning to a ton of layoffs. We're transitioning to a, an economy where nobody knows what's going to happen. Um, we're transitioning um, into a world where we, you know, none of us even see our bosses in person anymore for many of us. How do you um, help leaders these days with so much uncertainty? Um, and how do you help them move up in organizations, you know, given more and more uncertainty? Again, it's not unlike what I said earlier about myself. You know, I, I think you have to be... And when I say transition from expertise, I'm not advocating that we give up expertise. That's the biggest misunderstanding. Somebody has got to know some things. Maybe no one knows everything, but somebody has got to know some things, even if it isn't me. So in a knowledge economy, expertise is always going to be hugely valued, mm -hmm. right? So, we, so it's not about abandoning expertise. But the secret is understanding what expertise do I have that I'm bringing to bear at this moment in time and what expertise can I rely on someone else to have that they're bringing to bear. So the challenge is learning to navigate though, how much do I need to know 
and how much can I let somebody else know? All right, now if you put that in the world of uncertainty and we're back to does anybody know, like I know how, I know what I know, I know what the people on my team know for the most part, now I need to focus on what does no one know and what's the problem each we need to solve in order to move forward. And doing that and thinking about that in a systemic way as opposed to a linear functional way, regional way, I think is the answer forward. And it's getting comfortable with that idea of we're going to discover. Great. Yeah, I, I do think um, it's a great realization um, that in many instances, nobody knows. And we're, we're almost relying on someone else to know when the truth of the matter is no one knows. Okay. Can you tell us about your book? You yeah. can't know it all. And what we might find in that book, how would that book be helpful for us as leaders? All right. So the book is going to lay out what the challenges are for somebody who's had a phenomenally successful career and is in their comfort zone and what it looks like to begin to step outside of that comfort zone. Not that you abandon it. It's like you got a foot straddle in each of the two worlds. You know, I understand, let's say sales, but I've never had to lead IT and marketing and I have no idea how I'm supposed to do that. So that move. So begin to appreciate the move. Begin to appreciate the components of how you lead as an expert versus the components of how you lead when you're not the expert. Something I call spanning leadership because I'm spanning domains. And then beyond that, the book is a host of exercises that help you think about each of the micro transitions that are required to do the, that work successfully. Okay, you've got to give us an example of one of the what might one of those exercises be? Well, one of the biggest things that people have to get their head around, as I said, is value. And you're adding value as an expert because you're largely controlling quality and risk. You have the answers. People come to you. You can tell them how to do things with high-quality managing risk. When you move into a spanning space, what you're doing is managing priority and focus, so strategy and focus. Because that's your greatest value add at that moment. Not controlling the quality and cross. Somebody else is doing that. You're now controlling the focus and the prioritization the strategic. So shifting between those two kind of stumps people. How do I begin to think strategically? What does that mean? And how do I manage my time? And so on. So I have a whole series of exercises in there around how to think strategically. Like, for example... Start asking yourself a couple of questions, even from your expertise space. If we make this decision, what are the consequences of this decision for next step? Who else is impacted by this decision? If this works and rolls forward, what opportunities does that open for us? There's just a series of questions. If you start asking yourself on a regular basis, you're going to begin to move into that strategic thinking space. That's going to make all the difference in the world. Wow, that sounds like a really good resource for new managers or new directors, new leaders. Actually, Mitch, it's not just new because this is the trick. People who are leaders, many of them are already expert leaders and they leave massive large teams as the expert. So think of the head of R&D who understands the R&D process, the products, the technology that's being used deeply 
And the scientists will come to that head of R&D and say, help me think through this very specific problem, and they can do it. But they're very effective leaders at very high levels in the organization. So it's not just for new leaders. It's actually for people who are ready to expand their scope and impact beyond their expertise. Great. Thank you. Thank you for that, for that clarification. That's great. How can we find you? Um, I'm on every social media platform I think anybody would want to look at. So I'm on LinkedIn as Wanda T. Wallace, Twitter at Ask Wanda, Instagram, Wanda T. Wallace, uh, YouTube, Wanda T. Wallace, uh, pick one. I think I'm fairly easy to find. Or send me an old-fashioned email, wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Great. Wow. Jenny, you yeah, want to... I was enthralled. I just, I was just taking all of this, making all the connections. Um, obviously, a leader in today's environment running a team, uh, and they're all not in a comfort zone, having the whole team ask those questions, right? Having the whole team look at, well, who has one piece of the expertise? That's what makes the team strong. Yeah. So it, it, uh, it, it can be used in all those contexts. That yeah. Is. I just, uh, you're, you guys want to, you're so articulate. Um, you know, I would love to have, have you as my coach. Um, this <laughs> is like, Oh wow. She really gets it. So thank you for that. Thank you for that that distinction in um, in uh, you know how not knowing and uncertainty usually um, is a big influence on our ability to move up um, in anything in life. Mm -hmm. So I want to thank you for your time today. Thank you for um, amazing co-host Ginny for your time today. Thank you to our tremendous audience. Please share today's episode with your friends, your family, your colleagues, and we'll see you next time on the next episode of Team Anywhere. Before we sign off for today, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your support helps us grow, and by subscribing, you'll be the first to know when our exciting next episode is available.